Welcome to Sunday service. You're um, not present uh, in the physical form, but from all over the world, we have our wonderful family joining us together. So welcome and may God bless us all. I just want to share with those of you who live at a distance our greetings and love and support from all of us who live here at Ananda Village. We are doing everything we can to respect uh, the demands of these times. We are uh, living in self-imposed quarantine. Those of us who are older, our young people in the community are helping deliver groceries and mail. And it's very beautiful to see how the community is coming together in even deeper ways. We're not gathering for meditations, but we're meditating at a distance in our homes at the same time. And we also want to invite you this coming Thursday, March 26th, we will start our uh, worldwide prayer campaign called Be a, Sp a Warrior, Be a Spiritual Warrior. And this will be every Thursday, 8 a.m. Pacific time, uh, 5 p.m. in Italy, and 8.30 p.m. in India. This will be a 20-minute gathering where we will meditate a bit, have a brief talk, and then do an affirmation for world peace and healing that we've created for this, uh, for, to deal with this coronavirus <coughs> that's uh, moving through our world now. So please, we invite you to join us. Of course, it's free. And this will be every Thursday morning. And if you want more information, go on ananda.org. Good morning, everyone. And I also want to welcome you to our online streaming Sunday service. And we are so happy to be able to offer this to you and to continue uh, our Ananda centers throughout the world, in Europe, in India, throughout the United States, are continuing to offer online inspiration to keep our consciousness uplifted and focused on God's presence during these challenging times. So we have a beautiful topic this week, really quite pertinent to world affairs uh, from Rays of the One Light. Our topic this week is, we are children of the light. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. It is common for people to perceive themselves according to their present realities. A person in ill health says, I am ill. Few say, I am well. It is my body that is suffering. People in a low income bracket say, I am poor. Only the unusual person will say, though outwardly I live in poverty, Inwardly, I am wealthy. Thus, when it comes to moral and spiritual development, people commonly identify themselves with their weaknesses and their mistakes. They consider it a sign of humility to say, I am a sinner. Though, in effect, what this means is that they identify themselves with their sinfulness, not with the soul's power 
to transcend all limitations in God. The great masters, including Jesus Christ, have always emphasized the divine potential of mankind. To encourage us, they address us as children of light, not darkness. The Bible in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 3, makes the point that our true home is not the mud of this earth, but the light of heaven. No man hath ascended up to heaven, it tells us, but him that came down from heaven. The passage continues, even so, the Son of Man who is in heaven, emphasizing that Jesus, though he lived on earth, is perceived by the eye of wisdom as conscious, even in human form, of his true reality in heavenly spheres. The way to know God is to live in godly consciousness and not to bewail our imperfection and our distance from God. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And the Bhagavad Gita states, Seekers of union with the Lord find him dwelling in their own hearts. But those who, lacking in wisdom, seek him with impure motives cannot perceive him however much they struggle to do so. If you want to know God, Paramahansa Yogananda said, live in the thought that you have him already. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Thank you. What a nice reading for today and for these times. I'm going to continue in the same vein by reading from Whispers from Eternity. These are prayer demands by Yoganandaji. Demand that God's light drive a dark ignorance away. O divine friend, through the dark ignorance, be as old as the world. Still make me realize that the dawn of thy light, that with the dawn of thy light, the darkness will vanish as though it had never been. Yoganandaji made a beautiful statement one time. He said, even if you went into an underground cavern, where darkness had been for millions and millions of years, as soon as you turned on a light, that darkness of the ages would vanish immediately. And so it is with our consciousness. Our consciousness is not just light or dark. It has a dimmer switch. And so the lower the consciousness is, the darker it is. And then gradually, as we raise our consciousness, it gets brighter and brighter until eventually it becomes so bright. Master said that in enlightenment, as you look into the light at the forehead, it blazes like a billion suns, the light of a billion suns, but it doesn't hurt the eyes. Um, so it's, it's not harmful, but that great state of enlightenment. So this big question of are we sinners, 
or are we children of the light, is one that has not only religious and spiritual implications, but it has very, very practical implications. There are basically two spiritual views or religious views, um, and these, to a certain extent, divide the East from the West. In the West, generally speaking, the Judeo-Christian um, religion and ideology is that we have been, that God exists, of course, but then he creates creation the way that a sculptor, for instance, might create a statue, the way a potter might create a pot, the way a painter might create a painting. And so in seven days, he creates the suns and the moons and the waters, and he divides the light from the dark and eventually gets around to creating the Garden of Edom and mankind and so on. But in that paradigm, in that paradigm, the creation is always different from the creator. The pot is never the potter. The sculptor is never the sculpture. And so there's a dividing line between those. Well, if we're God's creation, if we're the pot, the most we can ever hope for is not to become the potter. That's, that's impossible. The pot can't do that. Maybe the pot can become a good pot and, and be a nice one. Reminds me of a beautiful little parable that I read one time. Um, there were two pots. There, a woman lived alone in a hut, and each day she had to go to the well, which was some distance away, and she had two big water pots to, that she put on a kind of a yoke over her, her neck and hung a full water pot on each of these. Well, one of these pots was old and had a little crack in it and the paint was faded and it just was not very pretty. The other pot was new and brightly painted and very pretty and the new pot was very proud of its looks and started to tease the old pot. Uh, Look at you, you're old and unattractive and you're even cracked, you're worthless. And the old pot was feeling very bad about it itself. And the woman heard this argument going on. Of course, this is a parable, so she was able to hear the pots arguing. Um, hear, heard this uh, argument going on. She said, let me show you something. Come with me, we'll go to the well and we'll collect water as we do every day. And so she collected the water in, uh, in both of these pots and put them in their normal place, the new one on the right, the old one on the left, and she began to walk back to the house. And she said, do you see something along the way? And she said, notice that on the right-hand side, the earth is barren as we walk back. But on the left-hand side, the earth is filled with wildflowers. Why is that? Because you, the proud pot, have refused to share any of your water with the, with the earth from which you came. You, the humble pot with the crack, have been dribbling water along and so other things can live. 
And so it is with us. We have this sense outwardly. See, the senses draw us outward. And so we have this idea that because outward things look a certain way, that that then determines who we are inwardly. And so if we're a pot and we're separate from the creator, and especially if then you combine that with the concept of original sin, that the creation has somehow sinned and that we are not only different from God, but that we are sinful and that being sinful, our, our, the result of that when we die is to be thrust into hell and be punished for eternity. But we can be saved from that by believing in someone who basically is like, I don't know, a divine lawyer and intercedes on our behalf with the, with the divine so we don't get punished for, for eternity. As Swami put it, he said, I, I can't imagine a God like that. He said, imagine some young man Maybe he's 16, he grows up in a bad area of town, he joins a gang, and he, uh, he kills someone as part of that gang uh, consciousness. And then he's uh, punished, perhaps he's put to death. But worse than that, he has been thrown into eternity because, of course, this is a terrible sin, killing someone. But he isn't thrown into eternity for a lifetime. I mean, thrown into hell. He's thrown into hell for eternity. He isn't thrown into hell for a lifetime. He's thrown in for eternity. Now let's think about eternity. So here he is. Maybe he remembers, begins to feel bad that uh, he understands what he's done, begins to feel badly about that act, wants to repent. But that kind of fades after a while because after maybe 100 or 150 years of being in the eternal fires of hell, he begins not to remember what he did. Well, 150 years is nothing to eternity. After a couple of million years of being punished for this one act that he did when he was 16 years old, he doesn't even remember that lifetime. But a couple of million years is nothing in eternity. We're talking about billions, then trillions of years. So here, five trillion years later, that 16-year-old is still being punished eternally in hell uh, because of something he did, not even knowing what he was doing, not even remembering what he was doing. Swami said, that doesn't make any sense to me. I can't believe in a God or in a universe like that. But if you have the sense that mankind is a sinner, then the only way to treat that sinner is by either punishment or repentance or working with the sinful nature in some way. And so that, that dividing line between how we view a person. On the other hand, in, in the... Uh, Vedas, it's understood that God doesn't create us like a potter creates a pot, 
Rather, God dreams us into existence out of his own self. And because we're from God, and because we share the substance of who God is, we're an extension of God. And so God isn't a sinner. So how could we be sinners? So we're children. God is light. God is love. God is joy. We are his children, the children of the light. So we're made of that same substance. Now, it would be naive to say, well, we're children of the light so that everything that we do is just fine. Come back to that 16-year-old who killed somebody. You can't say, oh, that's all right. You're a child of the light. Go ahead and kill people. That's fine. Of course it isn't fine because it's possible to be a child of the light and yet act in ignorance. And so we don't really have ignorance. We have I mean, we don't really have sin, we have ignorance. And so if you change the paradigm from sin to ignorance, then of course we're trying to overcome our ignorance. That's why we have all of the spiritual practices that we have. Because ignorance, relatively, is like that dimmer switch. The darker our consciousness, the lower the energy of our consciousness, the more likely we are to have ignorance, and therefore the more likely we are to act in ignorant ways, including being a 16-year-old who thinks that somehow it is a good idea to kill someone. That's ignorance. But is it sin? Not really. Not in the sense that it's sin is traditionally used. But a lot of people kind of believe that. One time we were, Davy and I were giving uh, Sunday service in Los Angeles. And this was in the very early days, far before we had um, our center there. Um, and we had it at a rented uh, venue uh, that was a multi-story building. I think it was a bank lobby or something like that. I can't remember exactly. It was probably 30 years ago. Anyway, we were downstairs, and there was another spiritual group or religious group had rented the room above us. And that religious group had a minister who was screaming at the people, you are a sinner, get down on your knees, you sinners. And he was screaming at them so loudly that one of our members had to go upstairs and say, you know, we're trying to carry on a service down below. Um, can, can you tone it down a little bit? And he said, oh, fine, fine. It was just, you know, it was just kind of the mode of operation that he was, he was doing. But, so we can kind of laugh at that. But it has profound implications on our life, how we view ourselves. How, whether we view ourselves as sinners or as bad people or whether we view ourselves as children of the light, maybe, as Master said, a diamond might become encrusted with some dirt surrounding it so that you don't see the diamond nature, but you can wash away that dirt. It takes a whole, whole lot more energy to take a lump of coal that is not a diamond and wash away the dirt around that, you still have a lump of coal. Eventually, you can crush that coal and maybe make it into a little diamond. But here the idea is that 
our eternal nature, our essential nature, is as a child of the light, as an extension of God. And yes, we have a little layer of ignorance, a little dirt formation, dust around that diamond, but our essential nature is as a diamond. Then our job is to clean the exterior veil that covers that diamond, clean it away so that the diamond can sparkle. Our job as devotees is to clean our consciousness, to clean those veils of misunderstanding or ignorance that surround the essential nature of us being, um, being children of the light. And as we do that, our consciousness grows lighter and lighter and lighter until eventually, if we do that sufficiently, take away all of those veils, we become enlightened. And so in an, in, in an enlightened person, they understand, in fact, more than understand, understanding is of the mind. They realize from their intuitive understanding the isness of who they are. They are children of the light. And so how do we know whether we're sinners or whether we're children of the light? Well, for me, the real acid test is those who are realized. So let's take these two paradigms and we begin to remove the ignorance from a person. Maybe this paradigm is that our essential nature is as a sinner. Maybe the other choice is that our essential nature is as a child of the light. So you remove all of the things that obstruct a person from finally realizing their true nature. And so both of those have an experience of realization of their true nature. I have never heard of anyone who had the experience of their true nature that said, I'm a sinner. I finally realized that I've never heard of someone let's say, becoming endarkened instead of enlightened. Because when we have that actual experience, then we see ourselves as unified with everyone and everything. We see ourselves as part of God or part of the creation drama and that we are children of the light. And if only one person had had that experience, you'd say, well, he's kind of self-deluding. Um, it isn't real. But that experience has occurred over and over and over throughout history, throughout different cultures, different times, different religions. It doesn't matter. The person who awakens and removes the veils of ignorance around them has the enlightenment experience. I would rather believe that kind of scientifically if you take an experiment and you say do this and here's the result and if that happens over and over and over again scientifically you say well that's that's then goes from a theory to a proven fact if that has happened so often over time 
for me, that goes from a theory to a proven fact. Now, if we had, on the other hand, a long history of people who had become uh, self-realized and they had then come out of that self-realization to say, oh, we're children of darkness, we're sinners, then we would have a counterbalancing argument, but we don't have that counterbalancing argument. All we have is the, is the uh, fact that, that the true experience is enlightenment. So this is all kind of theoretical, a nice, but for most of us, enlightenment or endarkenment uh, it lies, that realization lies somewhere in the future. But it comes down to very, very practical and important daily applications of how we view ourselves. That's why Master would never allow people to say, I'm a sinner. In fact, he told the story of being in one of these big revival uh, settings where there were several thousand people, 3,000 people there, and the minister was, was saying, you're all sinners, get down on your knees. And he said out of 3,000 people, he was the only one still standing, except for the preacher who was telling everybody they're sinners and should get down. He said, I refused to accept the fact that somebody would tell me I'm a sinner. He, he, and and uh, so there was just, he did not want to confuse the reality with, of who we are with saying something. So we should never say to a person, let's say that a person has offended us. Let's say that, I don't know, that they've stolen something from us. We should not say or think in our minds if we're confronting that person, we should not say to them, you are a thief. That's wrong. That person is not a thief. Their soul, which is their true nature that comes again and again, is not a thief. It's a child of the light. It's perfectly valid to say you have stolen something. That's, that's an act that is a one-time thing, but it's not a self-identity. It's not that person is not identified with the act of ignorance that they performed. Now, this again might sound a little theoretical, but let's think about our own self-image. Because if in our self-image, either we have thought, or something more likely somebody has incorrectly told us from a young age, you're a thief, you're a terrible person, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're whatever it is, that negative image, that is not true, but they have said, you are this. And we have come to believe that we are that in our essential nature. Then that filter goes around our daily actions and our daily self-image. And we begin to act according to the ignorant statements that have been given to us. And this can go back far into past lives. We have a friend who works with a, a kind of a therapy that helps people regress to past lives. And we've seen remarkable results from her doing that. 
because what she does is take a person back to where an erroneous self-image originated and releases that energy from it. And we've seen, just as an example, we saw an a, um, international businessman who needed to fly and had a deathly, I mean, had to fly from country to country, but had a deathly fear of flying. And so it was crippling his ability as a businessman. She took him back to the time where that fear originated. And the next week it was completely gone. He could get on a plane and fly just the way you and I can. Well, maybe not these days where planes are are potential sources of a virus, but in normal circumstances. <coughs> I shouldn't have done that. I should have coughed in, into my uh, uh, sleeve here. At any rate, uh, where we're, 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 I want to pick up my thought. At any rate, these self-images that we have can cripple us. And so the saints, and Swami was very like this, he constantly would try to help us see not our negative nature, but our positive nature. I could almost say that the culture of Ananda is built upon seeing the positive in each other and reinforcing that. That's why Ananda works so beautifully. And so Swami would come in and say to us, good morning, great souls. And now people repeat that, but it's unless you have the consciousness of the people that you're saying that to, that, they, that you hold the, I, the, the realization that they really are great souls, then it's kind of a hypocritical thing to say and would be better not to. But if you can hold that consciousness and say to a person with with true, um, true understanding, you are a great soul, then it helps uplift that person. There was one time where there was a, a person in the community who was bugging everybody, had a, a real flaw of being bossy and negative. And people were going to Swamiji and complaining about this person. And Swami said, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll take it on, I'll handle it. And so we were all expecting Swami was going to call this person in and give them a, a good talking to and fix them and, and make them never behave that way again. What did Swami do? He asked, invited them to dinner, had a nice dinner with them, told them how beautifully they were doing and uplifted them and, and uh, had a wonderful time. And... We were all kind of aghast at, at what he had done. But see, he understood what we didn't. You don't change a negative behavior by suppressing it or by telling a person that that's who they are and they have to change. It's like telling a plant that isn't growing very well that you're a terrible plant and I'm not going to water you and I'm not going to put you in the sun until you change. What good will that do? So... What he did to this woman was bring her into a circumstance where with his consciousness, he could raise her consciousness. And with the raised consciousness, then the behavior pattern changes. 
So it isn't that a person wants to behave negatively. It's that they're acting out of ignorance. Raise their consciousness, raise their self-esteem, raise their sense of the fact that they're children of light. And when you do that, the negative behavior begins to fall away. And all that's left are the echoes of an old habit. But when, we're, when our consciousness is raised, then it all changes. Master would say to his disciples on occasion, I see you all as made of light. You have no idea how beautiful you are. When I first heard that, I used to think, oh, he must see us kind of with rainbow-colored skin or maybe a little aura coming out or, you know, something like that, that he sees us made of light. But it's much more profound than that. He sees us as the soul which is made of light. He doesn't see our flaws. Well, he sees that we have ignorant behaviors, but he doesn't say, you are that. He says, you are children of light. And so we, in order to really get in tune with these great ones who have become enlightened, need to act like that toward ourselves. So let's view ourselves as children of the light. Yes, if we have something that is an ignorant behavior problem, of course we should work on that. But let's never say, I'm a terrible person, or I am stupid, or I am anything. Uh, the only thing we can say, I am, is as a child of the light. I am a child of God, or I am made of God. Davy, during this time of disease, Davy and I are repeating a beautiful affirmation every morning that comes from Swami, I, excuse me, comes from Master. And it's Heavenly Father. Oh, let me, let, I'm thinking of other things. So let me get centered. Heavenly Father, thou art in every, thou, yeah, thank you, that's the word I was missing. Heavenly Father, thou art present in every atom, every cell, every corpuscle, every particle of nerve, brain, and tissue. I am well, for thou art in all my body parts. Heavenly Father, thou art present in every atom, every cell, every corpuscle, every particle of nerve, brain, and tissue. I am well, for thou art in all my body parts. And see, if that, that's far beyond just being physically well. If we think that God is in every particle of us, in every aspect, every atom of us, then we are children of God. We are children of the light. And if we can hold that consciousness, then and we take away all veils that block us from holding that consciousness, then we too will become enlightened. God bless you. Life is a dream, time like a stream, carries our burden. Away. Never 
Shining afar, it can guide us and help. 